How can logistics professionals collaborate better with suppliers? Gardner releases its global supply chain top 25 list. And drainage rates are on the rise again. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney, I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Right Height. How are you helping to keep your workers on the dangerous drive approach safe? Approach view from Right Height detects backing motion in the drive approach and presents an immediate clear, audible, and visual warning to pedestrians in front of the loading dock. For more information, visit righthight.com. That's R-I-T-E-H-I-T-E.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, most logistics professionals have had to scramble the past two years when it comes to managing their supply chains. But new research shows that better collaboration with suppliers can help minimize supply disruptions, improve sustainability efforts, and promote innovation. To find out more about that research, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Alex Sarek. He is Chief Marketing Officer at Spend Management Software Provider, Evalua. Welcome, Alex. Hello, thanks for having me, Victoria. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Um, your company recently released a study about strategies companies are using to minimize the frequency and risk of supply chain disruptions. Uh, what did you learn? We did, and there were actually a few uh, really interesting results that came out of it, maybe uh, to highlight three. Uh, the first one was there was a lot of overconfidence. 77% of the respondents actually said that they had performed better than their competitors when it came to supply continuity in the last year. Only 5% felt that they were worse. Uh, Forrester you know, conducted their own assessment of the respondents and found only 13% were really advanced, um, and most were actually far behind that. Uh, and that's concerning because it, that overconfidence, is, it's dangerous. It can lead to uh, not taking the right action to actually improve. Uh, second, I think it was also really uh, interesting that when we looked at the strategies that different uh, leaders were doing to address uh, supply resilience and continuity, uh, leaders were actually doing less. They were applying fewer strategies than everyone else. Uh, but they're just applying obviously more focus and doing things that are really addressing the real issues um, and using strategies that work, uh, especially at more actively monitoring risk. Uh, they also had been faster to move towards nearshoring. Uh, and then lastly, maybe I'll just highlight that it was also very clear what the top barriers were uh, for organizations to uh, have higher and better supply continuity. And it was really around transparency at both the category as well as the supplier level. Uh, as well as better collaborating with suppliers, which is really key towards uh, overall resilience. Um, I, I should have asked you uh, at the outset too. So, what kinds of companies and the size are we talking about here? What um, generally the the audience that you surveyed? Oh, so the overall response had uh, over 400 uh, respondents. It was all director and above across industries. Really, a, okay. a pretty broad spectrum, uh, covering really all the major markets in U.S., Europe, and Asia. Uh, so, it was a fairly diverse global study. Great, thank you. Uh, so you mentioned uh, collaboration um, as a key point. Can you tell us a little bit, um, you know, what do you mean by this and what specific steps can companies take in that regard? Sure, yeah, collaboration is definitely a key to improving continuity. 
Uh, you know, the leaders in the survey actually noted that the number one opportunity uh, from improving collaboration was around supply continuity. And it also helps with really all of today's top objectives from improving ESG, supplier-led innovation, improving margins. Um, what we really found is, you know, the leaders collaborate in more ways and with more suppliers. And there are a couple areas, you know, someone's looking at this of what you really need to do. The first is sharing more information. Uh, and this needs to be bi-directional. From the supplier side, that means sharing information on your own suppliers, your, the dependencies that are important. They can help the buyer you know, better assess their risk and how vulnerable they are. And from the buyer side, you need to really think about sharing the company's strategy uh, and specifically keeping suppliers informed about your forecast and your planned orders, because that lets them plan their own purchases, manufacturing, inventory to better serve you. Uh, and then the second area is really working together to improve. Uh, you need to give suppliers flexibility in how you meet the requirements. And you know, whenever you find weaknesses, areas to improve, which inevitably are going to come up when you have an open relationship, really defining what the improvement plans are and monitoring and working against that are really key. The report, um, I think, also deals with um, how you know this issue of better supplier collaboration can help improve a company's sustainability efforts. And I, I heard you mention ESG um, just a minute ago. You know, can you talk about the growing importance of sustainability and how collaboration can help? And maybe um, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yes, I mean, there's definitely a lot of evidence these days on the adverse impact of human activity on the environment. Uh, unsurprisingly, then, you know, governments are increasingly legislating and regulating that behave, uh, businesses can behave in a certain way and you know, achieve uh, certain uh, objectives. Uh, and also employees and customers increasingly are looking to brands that they associate with, they have the same values and sustainability is one of the key ones. Uh, so I think acting on sustainability, it's really not just the right thing to do these days, but it's also the smart thing. Uh, now, for most businesses, success and being more sustainable has to involve working with suppliers. Uh, if you look at carbon emissions, it's a big part of sustainability. Uh, scope three, or the uh, supply chain emissions, actually account for 70 to 80% uh, for the average organization. Uh, this is some uh, metrics from McKinsey. Um, and if you look at areas like improving the reusability or recyclability of the products by your customers, it really comes down to the materials uh, and that has to involve suppliers. Uh, but it's not just about selecting suppliers to have a lower carbon footprint or just generally more sustainable. You can drive some kind of step change improvements, uh, but the reality is most companies are nowhere near where they want to be and need to be from a sustainability perspective. So the biggest gains are going to come from kind of driving ongoing continuous improvements. Uh, and that's really something that have to work with suppliers. Uh, and actually in the study, the number one barrier that respondents identified to improving sustainability uh, was actually a lack of systems to enable effective uh, scalable collaboration. You mentioned a couple of things there, um, uh, you know, scope three and recycling efforts. Are there specific sustainability goals uh, most companies are working toward, you know, that you were able to identify from your um, study? Yes, I'd say the answer is yes and no. Um, on the good and bad side. Yes, and there, there are definitely specific areas that are considered very important. A majority of the respondents uh, said that you know, reducing their own power consumption, uh, helping customers recycle more of their, the materials from their products, and reducing the supply chain's overall carbon emissions. Those three areas were identified as being very important to the business by the majority of respondents. So that's the good news. They, they clearly have some specific areas that they're targeting to improve. Uh, the reason I said and no is unfortunately when we looked at well, what specific targets or policies do you have in place, actually less than 20% uh, 
actually had either of those for any of these areas. So you know, we're still unfortunately at a point where we kind of know what we need to improve, but there's not a huge amount of action taking place in, um, in most organizations. The report also addresses um, product innovation. How does collaborating with suppliers help drive that process? It's an important part of that. I mean, for most businesses, they've really outsourced more of their products and services over the past you know, 10, 20 years to suppliers. Uh, so more of the expertise is outside of the company these days. Uh, and then regardless of how innovative a company is, there's always benefit to pulling ideas from external specialists. Uh, and suppliers are a great source of that. Uh, so collaboration is really key as far as openly communicating what you're trying to achieve uh, rather than just specifying you know, the exact um, specifications of what they have to provide uh, and then letting suppliers offer innovative solutions you know, we've always found that if you give suppliers more flexibility uh, they often come up with great ideas and that could be a greener option or a lower cost approach uh, that increases the, the overall margin throughout the entire value chain rather than just you know, negotiating who gets a, a bigger share of the pie uh, and actually what we found uh, in the study was the top strategy that actually led to improving supplier-led innovation, uh, which the majority of the respondents uh, indicated was actually implementing systems to improve the collaboration. Uh, and we've seen that in our own experience as well. Uh, Meritor is a global automotive leader uh, that we work with. Uh, they actually digitized the entire product and supplier lifecycle uh, as part of a board level initiative to improve profitability. Uh, and allow them to deliver you know, more products at higher margins faster than they had in the past and, and multiply their stock price in the years following that initiative. Uh, getting back to the um, supply chain delay and disruption issues we talked about at the outset, you know, we've been experiencing this these challenges for a couple of years now. Um, what's your outlook for the remainder of 2022 in this regard? <laughs> You know, I really wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, the world's definitely become so unpredictable, it's really becoming hard to predict anything. But, you know, I'll take my guess. I have my own feelings. Uh, and unfortunately, it's that the year is going to stay tough. I think, you know, demand seems to be staying high. Hopefully, it's going to continue. And I think it will, uh, even if it moderates a bit. And at the same time, a lot of the shortages taking place um, at the materials level, at the components level. I mean, chips being you know, one of the high profile ones, but not the only. Um, I think they're going to persist. They're not, there's not a quick and easy solution to those. And at the same time, a lot of the adjustments the companies are making to their supply chains, uh, it's going to take time. Um, now, all that said, I think you know, that type of environment presents a big opportunity. And I think the companies that have established themselves as customer of choice with their suppliers uh, and had invested in the processes and the systems that are going to help them better assess and engage their suppliers, are gonna be at a big competitive advantage and able to grow their market share. Uh, well, I think unfortunately, majority are going to struggle and find that their uh, results disappoint. Thank you. Um, Alex, can you tell us where um, our listeners might be able to find more information on your uh, study and your report? Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest thing is to just go to iValua.com. Uh, it's currently highlighted at the top of the homepage or you can always go to the resource page to, to download either this study or one of the many pieces of research and, and customer stories that, that we promote on there. So I encourage everyone to, to visit us. Terrific. Thanks very much. And thanks again for being with us today. No, thanks for having me. We have been talking with Alex Sarek of iValua. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Alex and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, Gartner released its global supply chain top 25 list this week, and you wrote about it. Can you share some of the trends we are seeing in top performing companies? 
Yeah, glad to. The uh, analyst firm uh, Gartner keeps a close eye on global supply chains and how top performing companies handle a lot of the current challenges that we've all been seeing. And they've actually created a metric for measuring that performance. Uh, that's how they um, order the different companies and they create uh, the global supply chain top 25. And to cut to the chase, they found that Cisco Systems grabbed the top spot for the third consecutive year, actually. Uh, the rest of the top five were Schneider Electric, Colgate Palmolive, Johnson & Johnson, and PepsiCo. Uh, Mike Griswold, he's vice president and team manager with the Gartner Supply Chain Practice, who organized this, uh, explained why. And he said that uh, Cisco continues to adapt in various ways to the changing environment, and its supply chain moves in alignment. Griswold also said that ESG, that's environment, social, and governance, is a big focus for them. Uh, with circular concepts that has to do with recycling and reuse incorporated into the design and operations and consumption aspects of what they do so uh, the report also has a master's category they call it and that recognizes sustained supply chain excellence over multiple years uh, for the purposes of this report that means that companies that get top five rankings for at least seven out of the last 10 years uh, and in the most recent report that master's category featured amazon apple Procter & Gamble, they go by P&G now, uh, McDonald's, and Unilever. Uh, so Gartner pointed out that those companies uh, provide really good examples of how to deliver agility and responsiveness for sustained periods of time, and they suggested that other chief supply chain officers uh, can look to them for best practices. Yeah, that's interesting. Did the report specify what any of those best practices were? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Gartner identified four broad trends that they said the top performers shared. Uh, so first, those chief supply chain officers uh, have become drivers of new business models and commercial innovation, uh, so beyond strictly supply chain. Uh, so to do that, they're looking beyond their own company and creating uh, what Gartner calls uh, co-opetition-based ecosystems, cooperation and competition, to address the really large-scale challenges. Uh, that, that's a little complex, but they gave an example, uh, and that's something called the Consumer Goods Forum which helps develop plastic recycling technologies uh, that many different companies can use. Uh, second, uh, leading companies handling uh, the ongoing disruption that we're all seeing uh, with better agility than others. Um, sounds kind of obvious, but uh, they did give another helpful example. Uh, some companies have created temporary transformation teams to address some of those near-term challenges with the knowledge that the uh, people who work on those teams will then return to their day-to-day -day work once the environment has stabilized. Uh, I know we're all looking forward to an environment that is stabilized someday soon, so we'll have to see when that happens, but that's the idea. Uh, third, uh, the top companies have announced ambitious net zero climate goals, and that includes scope three emissions. Uh, what scope three means is not just your own company's emissions, but also your suppliers and customers. Uh, so that extends beyond their own corporate realm to look at those full climate emissions. Um, Gartner said that Companies such as Walmart, Microsoft, and Unilever have actual formal programs in place to track the status of supplier reduction projects and uh, quantify those results. Uh, and lastly, the fourth uh, general trend that those leaders shared, uh, Gartner said, is that supply chain leaders are balancing their long-term investments in automation with immediate or short-term investments uh, to improve employee workflows. So not just the automation, but the human uh, workers. So examples of that include uh, relationship building, 
responding to new operating conditions and working alongside uh, cooperative robots, uh, some what we also call cobots. Uh, so th th those are those are the ideas. You know, they sound a little obvious um, when you say them um, and, and as a shared value, but uh, you know, in, in some of those specific programs, they can really make a difference. Yeah. Well, they all seem like good goals for any supply chain company working to improve their operations. Thanks, Ben. Glad to. And Victoria, you wrote this week about the continuing surge in drage rates. Can you share some details? Absolutely. Uh, happy to. So, um, yeah, so port disruptions and delays worldwide have contributed to surging drayage rates here in North America, and that's a trend that's likely to continue. Uh, that's according to an industry report released this week uh, that we reported on. Uh, most of our listeners may know this, but for those who don't, drayage, um, it's an industry term for moving freight short distances, typically from a terminal or port to the uh, next mode of transportation, whether it be rail, air, and so forth. The uh, data out this week is from drayage service provider uh, Book Your Cargo, or BYC, which produces its BYC drayage spot market index each month. The index is based on data and metrics um, from BYC's customers and business partners. And the company's forecast for June shows a 28% increase in drayage spot market rates this month compared to June of 2021. So that's a big increase. The BYC report also predicts a more than 18% increase in the national drayage spot rate for the third quarter of this year. So looking ahead to July through September, and that compares to a 7% increase during the same period last year. There are many factors contributing to the problem, of course, but uh, global supply chain snags are one of the biggest. The BYC report points to the growing volume of vessels anchored outside of ports in Shanghai and Ningbo, China, um, as a key contributing factor to the rate hikes, rate hikes, excuse me, here at home, for example. Uh, most of those vessels will eventually make their way to the U.S., um, and the port congestion that results um, contributes to um, the higher rates that we're seeing. Victoria, is there anything that companies can do to alleviate those high costs? Yeah, um, a book cargo transportation early, according to this report. Um, they say that will give loads more time to reach their destination and at lower cost cost. Um, this is something industry experts often tell us can be very helpful. The report also points to which ports are experiencing the most congestion and where spot rates are expected to surge the most, which can also be helpful information. Uh, the June 2022 forecast found that the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, Vancouver, and New York, New Jersey are the most congested in the United States, and that the Northeast Southeast and Pacific Northwest are predicted to see the highest drayage rate increases at more than 30%. So just uh, one more example of the how the costs of doing business just seem to keep climbing. Yeah, and I'm sure and it's difficult for any shipper to really avoid those busy ports and look to others. Yes. So I guess we just expect that we're going to pay more for it. Yeah, unfortunately. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And be sure to check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Alex Sayrick of iValia for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our new sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane, 
co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fastlane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Right Height. How are you helping to keep your workers on the dangerous drive approach safe? Approach view from Right Height detects backing motion in the drive approach and presents an immediate, clear, audible, and visual warning to pedestrians in front of the loading dock. For more information, visit righthight.com. That's righthight.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we'll discuss the work being done to promote safe operation of forklifts and the annual recognition of National Forklift Safety Day. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.